It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the first PowerMizzou.com podcast of 2020. We took last week off because Mitchell Forty did not want to do a podcast the day after Christmas. I would have done it, obviously, but that's all right. We're back now. Um, and we are fully in basketball mode. Gabe DeArmond here with Mitchell Forty. And on the phone, we're going to start with Blake Lovell, who covers college basketball, but more specifically the SEC in-depth. Uh, Blake writes at, at Clutch Points. He writes for the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. Blake, I'm sure I'm leaving things out. You write for many other places. Yeah, I probably do a little bit of everything at this point. I always tell people that, that have me on, it probably takes you longer to list all the different things I do than actually have me on for the interviews. So that, that'll do. Those are good enough. Yeah. All right, good deal. So uh, we we want to start, obviously, SEC play opens on Saturday. Uh, Missouri is at Rupp Arena. And just uh, your thoughts so far on Missouri's season, a year which looked at, like it might be lost after losing to Charleston Southern, and now they've managed to win four in a row. Yeah, they have, and I think their their season has kind of mirrored some other SEC teams to this point, really, when you look at it. We saw, and you guys know this, we, we've seen a lot of teams sort of start off really slow this year, and really as a whole, I think the conference was, was a little bit underwhelming, I think, in, in pre-conference play just because, you know, I don't know what it was, whether it was the shooting, whether it's just the overall inexperience. Uh, both of those two things, I think, will continue to be something uh, that we kind of look at with these inconsistent teams, but like you said, with Missouri, I mean, it's a situation where, you know, getting these last four wins in a row, I think, in, in a certain sense, certainly, you know, it's about who they've beaten. They had a good win at Temple. They beat Illinois. Uh, but I think it's also the way they've won some of these games. And I know, you know, the Chicago State game aside, because that's a program I think we all know is really still in, in rebuilding mode, will be for several years. Um, it's, it's, you're starting to see those things with Missouri where we knew this was going to be a good defensive team. There was never really any doubts about that. The one thing we always said was, you know, if the offense comes along, this can be, you know, an NCAA tournament team. And I think you've seen the frustration with the offense at times, but as we said, we've still seen some, some bright spots too. And that's what you kind of have to look at. I think going into SEC play, knowing it's a year where, look, there, there's not – a true dominant team in the SEC, aside from certainly Auburn being undefeated right now. But, I mean, it's a year where if Missouri wants to take that step and be right there again in terms of looking at the NCAA tournament picture, this is the year to do it because I think the league is certainly as wide open as it's been in a while. Blake, Gabe and I were kind of talking before we came on about how, uh, like you said, the, the SEC is, is wide open. There's a lot of teams that are that are kind of, uh, you know, bunched up and is a kind of a, you know, I'd say mediocre range, um, which, you know, can help Missouri in that it offers them a real chance to, to maybe have a winning record and leave play. It also could be, uh, you know, a little bit of a hindrance to their resume at the end of the year where the strength of schedule is not quite what it was. Just as you, you know, take a look at, at this Missouri team and at the SEC, do you get a sense that, you know, going, say, uh, 10 and 8 in league play, which would put them at 19 wins on the season in this SEC, do you think that that's enough to, to feel pretty good going into the SEC tournament? Or do you think that the, the conference is weak enough that maybe you want to make sure to get to, to say, 20 wins? Yeah, no, that's a really good point because someone asked me that about Arkansas. And, and you know, Arkansas, they're in a situation where, I mean, look, you know, they, if they didn't get that one against Indiana, we're having probably a pretty big different conversation about Arkansas because uh, it is. It's a matter of, of who have you beaten. And like you said, it's really 
this is a year where usually we don't have to look at or at least haven't had through the past couple of years in the SEC where it's like, well, there's good enough teams where you don't really have to, to worry about whether the, the strength of schedule is going to be affected or whatever. But, you know, for a team like Missouri, you go up and down the schedule, you know, you get Kentucky once, you get Florida once, um, you know, and that's good, good end up being important because, like we said, we don't really know who are going to be the teams that, that ultimately wind up being in the tournament. But if you base it on what we've seen thus far, I think they only I think they only get Auburn once, maybe LSU once too. So the teams you project out to, to be the ones that are going to make the tournament, at least at this point, Missouri doesn't exactly have a ton of opportunity against those teams. Now, of course, you get the you know you'll still get teams that, that may be in that middle range that we sort of look at and project them to be in there. Who knows? And I think that's the thing where this year, because there are so many unknowns, someone asked me about a week ago, you know, how many teams are probably going to get in at this point? Well. Yeah, at this point, I think five is probably the most realistic number, to, to be honest, guys. I don't know how we can look at it and feel like there's going to be a surefire six teams that get in. And so in that scenario, like you said, is 10 wins going to be enough or are you going to have to go uh, 11 and 7? I think at the 10 win mark, it's probably going to come down to who have you beaten or who have you avoided losing to because certainly this year a loss to a team like Texas A&M could be just as bad as anything. Because I think A&M is certainly at this point looks like the worst team. I think Vanderbilt's a step ahead of them. Um, so it's going to be fascinating because it is. Strength of schedule is probably going to matter, and I'm not sure uh, we thought it would in this particular SEC landscape. Blake, we're not going to ask you to run down every team, but we'll just kind of bounce around a, a little bit. And I, I have no idea what Mitch is going to ask, and he has no idea what I'm going to ask because we do no planning for this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but um, I, I want to start with Missouri's opponent on Saturday. I mean, Kentucky is 9-3, and three, so I'm sure the world is ending in Lexington. Uh, <laughs> they beat Michigan State. They beat Louisville. They lost to Evansville. So uh, just like everybody's up and down, Kentucky's up and down, but – I think everybody expects and, and still thinks they're the class of this league, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to put them right there. And I'd still, you know, Kentucky and Auburn are probably the two teams I put ahead of everybody else at this point. I just, and it's funny because, I mean, ultimately that's what we came down to last season. And uh, both both teams are different this year, but yet the results seem to sort of be the same in a certain sense. Um, but with Kentucky, I'll tell you guys, it's it's the same thing it's always been for me. We know every year there's going to be different players on the roster. Um, you know, the luxury of bringing back the, the sophomore group that they brought back this year, that's proven uh, to be a nice advantage for them because, you know, it's not a team that's having to, to sport, you know, freshman, freshman, freshman at every single position. You actually have these guys who have that year of experience like Ashton Higgins, you know, like E.J. Montgomery and Nick Richards, of course, have been there. Um, so, so having that, that helps them, but there are still the things with Kentucky seemingly in recent years, you know, certain ones you look at, um, are they going to be able to shoot it well enough from outside? Are they going to be able to make those kind of shots knowing the teams are probably going to have to find ways to, you know, to play zone against them, knowing what their size and those sorts of things. Um, you know, right now, I think you're in that 300 ish range in the country in terms of three point percentage, which is the case for a lot of SEC teams. Um, I don't know about this team. I still not even with that win against Louisville. I'm still not ready to say that's going to be the win that just gets them back on track. I still think there are just some inconsistencies with this team that we usually see with Kentucky, and you always sort of bank on John Calipari figuring it out. Uh, but I am still not there yet with this team. I don't know exactly what we're going to get. Uh, but I will say that beating Louisville was a big step in the right direction, at least because that does give them some momentum here. And when you look at the way their schedule starts, you know, they're at home against Missouri. 
And then I think they've got Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina after that. Uh, so all winnable type of games, and it could be sort of the start for them to, to do their usual uh, get rolling once conference play starts. Just to ask one more on Kentucky since Missouri is playing them on Saturday. Uh, you know, you mentioned the three-point shooting. That's That's been kind of a weakness. Uh, just, what else, what, what are kind of the, the main things you look at and say, you know, if Kentucky is, is playing well and they're getting these wins against teams like Louisville and Michigan State, they're doing this versus when they lose to teams like Utah and Evansville. You know, what, what are kind of the, the X factors, the biggest differences in their play, uh, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think with Kentucky, the, the thing with them you look at, and, and they didn't necessarily do it against Louisville, but it seems like over the years something Kentucky's always been able to do is get second-chance opportunities against teams. And so, like, you know, at least with the size that they usually have on the floor, and then, you know, you look at this particular team, I mean, you've got you've got the big guys in there. We know what E.J. Montgomery and Dick Richards. I mean, you've got two guys that are 6'10 or bigger in there and and that presents some advantages as we know um so i think that's going to continue to sort of be a key for them especially once they're in this league because take for example a team like arkansas which i'm sure we'll get to i mean arkansas has no size whatsoever and and as well as arkansas started you know how do they match up against a kentucky that's going to have you know two guys like that in the paint that are able to rebound and kentucky you know their ability to get second-chance opportunities, I think, and sort of limit the turnovers, and that's where we've seen Ashton Hagen really come along here. Uh, that's been important for them because it's going to be huge. I mean, this is the same way it is seemingly every year. Kentucky's going to get their points either from inside the arc or the free throw line, and that's what they've done all season long. Teams that are forcing them to, to shoot from outside, that's when you're probably going to have a really good opportunity to win. If Kentucky's putting up 25 or something three-pointers a game, you feel pretty good about your chances probably because it's not, again, the most consistent three-point shooting team. Uh, and so that's something I think teams are going to have to adjust to and kind of game plan around with them. If you can do that, you can keep them off the offensive glass, you probably feel pretty good. Uh, otherwise, it's just the team with their size, with their athleticism. Uh, if they can get to the rim, if they can get second-chance opportunities, uh, they're still hard to beat. Talking with Blake Lovell, who covers uh, SEC basketball, and you mentioned Arkansas, so that's where we'll go next. I mean – they're 11-1, and one, and the second-best win on their schedule is either Tulsa or at Georgia yeah. Tech, I guess. Uh, I mean, is Arkansas good? Well, like you said, the, the second-best win's at Georgia Tech, but it came on just a an unbelievable, you know, three-point shot there to, to win that game in overtime. And and the thing is with Arkansas, I, I said it, you know, they, they don't have the fun. And I almost think their uniqueness is, could be something that continues to be an advantage because – Aaron Musselman came in, and he's used to this. I mean, you look back at his Nevada team from last year, I and mean, it's not a team that, that had a ton of size, and really they, they never have there. He's, he's used to playing, you know, different guys, and I know we, we talk a lot about positionless basketball and all that now, and, you know, he's putting out four guards on the floor at one time, and that's what they did the entire portion of non-conference play. And it worked for the most part. It really helped them on defense because they are, you know, I think they're still in the top ten of the country in terms of defensive efficiency and all that. You just look at their numbers. I know they lead the nation still in terms of three-point football defense. Um, they just – they that's helped them. But my question, again, with Arkansas, like you said, they don't have that truly – aside from the Indiana win, which I guess, you know, in a certain sense, it's the biggest win on their schedule by far. But they don't have that, that elite type of win, I guess. They, you know, they haven't beaten a team in the top 15, anything like that. And people use that same – uh, methodology when kind of looking at a team like Auburn. 
But I, I still don't know what we're going to get with Arkansas because they're not playing these teams night in, night out like they will be in the SEC. They do have more size, like you said, with a Kentucky where offensive rebounding is something where, you know, could they get exploited in that area going against the bigger teams like this and teams that are a lot more maybe athletic, one through five, uh, than some of the other teams they play in the non-conference portion. That's where I think we'll learn more about Arkansas. Their schedule does start off nicely. Um, but getting that win in Indiana, again, I can't sort of state how big that was uh, because otherwise, I mean, they'd be in a situation where you feel like Arkansas would easily have to win at least probably 11 in the SEC and feel like they even had a chance at that point. Blake, you mentioned Auburn, which was the one other team I wanted to touch on specifically. Uh, you know, they're the only undefeated team here entering conference play. But as you mentioned, they haven't really played uh, a whole lot of great opponents. I think only one top 50 team, and that was NC State at home. Uh, they lost Bryce Brown and Jared Harper from last year. Uh, you know, h- how good is this Auburn team? Are, are they as good, I guess, as their, as their record indicates? Yeah, and then that's the one I, I still go back and forth on because, like you said, it's, it's <laughs> the numbers themselves. You know, Auburn's, Auburn's advantage here is that they haven't really played a ton of truly terrible teams. They've played those teams kind of in that top 100 range, but not necessarily, you know, multiple teams in that top 50 type of range. And so that's where it becomes harder to, to gauge for them. And when, you know, we look at it too, I think it's always important to look at games, where are they played? And, you know, Auburn's played a lot of home games. They've only played one true road game. That was that game they won at South Alabama by a point. Um, and so aside from that, you know, what, what do we know about this team? Well, they don't pack the same type of punch offensively, and we can see that, I think, certainly with their, their perimeter shooting because they, they just aren't the same type of team that can go out. And, you, do, you know, you had Bryce Brown, you had Jared Harper, uh, guys who just, I mean, they go down the court five possessions and make five straight threes, and all of a sudden that's a 15-point swing. Uh, you don't feel necessarily at that same case with this team. Now, what this team still has going for it, is the defense is still there. It hasn't really gone anywhere. They're still going to pressure. They're still going to try to force turnovers, and that's helping them, you know, against the teams they've played thus far. And the offense really, you know, hasn't gone backwards that much, aside from the three-point shooting. I think Samir Dowdy has been a lot better than people thought he'd be in terms of stepping into that Jared Harper type of role. Uh, he's been one of the best players in the SEC at this point. Uh, they're they're very efficient inside the perimeter, but they're not as efficient out on the, you know, in the perimeter itself. And how do how do teams game plan around that? How does that change their strategy against them? They just keep winning, you know. I think they, whatever it is dating back to last year, they won twenty five or twenty six or something like that. Um, so you can't you can't doubt those numbers. Uh, but at this point, I mean, look, they're, they're still winning games. They're confident. It just feels like maybe the three point shooting could catch up with them eventually. And the fact that, like we said, they haven't necessarily played uh, those top top type of teams, even though they've beaten a, a bunch of good teams. Uh, now we sort of see how are they able to, to combat some of these maybe great teams on the road like that. That's going to be fascinating. All right, just a few more minutes here with Blake. And uh, I want to ask you, we talked a little bit about Arkansas, but Eric Musselman, Jerry Stackhouse at, at Vandy, Nate Oates at Bama, Buzz Williams at A&M, four new coaches in this league. Long term, which one of, you, which one of those guys do you think you know, has the most success at the place he's at? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one because I, I think I probably would have said Buzz before the season started, and that's why I think we sort of we have to just sort of throw this season out. I think for him because you know A and M was was not in a great position roster wise. Uh, it was a team that, that struggled last year. We knew you know he was bringing in a lot of new guys and young guys at that. Um, so 
you know, maybe not this year, but long term, you feel like you've got to be able to recruit well enough to do that. But like you said, I mean, I also didn't expect Arkansas to be this good off the bat, even though it was a more talented roster than, let's say, Texas A&M. Um, so with Musk doing what he's doing, he's already proven he can recruit. Um, Arkansas, I, maybe you'd go with Musk. Uh, and that's not to knock on, on Nate Oaks or Jerry Stackhouse, because I think both of those guys are really doing a good job with, with the rosters that they have right now. Uh, Alabama, things are starting to come together. I've really been impressed with Jerry Stackhouse here in Nashville. I mean, they've their, their player development has been fantastic at this point. Aaron Neesmith, one of the best scorers in the country right now. Uh, so they're all going to do well. It's a tough. I mean, I, I would, I guess, maybe go with Musk at this point just based on how well they've started. Uh, but you're probably not going to go wrong uh, picking any of the other three. Blake, uh, last thing for me, uh, one thing you, you touched on briefly that has been kind of curious to me is just the, the regression in three-point shooting among the SEC. And Missouri was a 36, I think, 0.5% shooting team last season from deep. This year they're at 29.9, and that's really propped up by that game against Chicago State. Um, and you look throughout the league, and a lot of teams are shooting around 30%, maybe a little bit less. Uh, it do you have a, an explanation for that? And do you think it's something that's, you know, it's possible it might correct itself here down the stretch? Or, or do you think that's just kind of uh, going to be the story of this season? Yeah, I honestly, at this point, I think it may just be the story of the season. I, I don't know if it is just the, you know, and the coach said this going into the season. We really know. We know one day. We didn't know how to adjust to this extended three-point line. And, and, you know, coaches were saying it. They kept saying, hey, I'll tell you, and I think Bruce Pearl was one of the ones to talk to this summer. He's like, look, it's going to have a, it's going to have an impact. Anyone that tells you otherwise is kidding themselves because, you know, there are average type of shooters that either are going to be taking that shot and missing it or they're not going to be taking that shot at all. And, you know, how many truly just great three-point type of shooters are there in this league right now? And that's where we've seen, you know, the guys like Aaron Neesmith, for example, who sort of set themselves apart because they're able to knock down that type of shot and, Overall, it's just the SEC, you know, guys, if you go back and look at it, I did the numbers on this several weeks ago. The SEC traditionally has not really been a great three-point shooting league from top to bottom. If you compare the averages uh, to the SEC to other conferences around the country, they're towards the bottom a lot of years in terms of because it's just been, again, the, the size and just the athleticism. You have teams that have had the paint try to get the three-throw line, uh, but it's really showing this year. I mean, it, it's not good for the SEC right now. And I do just think that we're going to see the situation where, you know, teams like Vanderbilt and I think Mississippi State, uh, at least in the past couple of weeks, they've been up there, you know, towards the top of the league in terms of three-point shooting. Uh, there are some other ones that will continue to get there. Alabama's shooting it better now. Uh, but I don't necessarily think we're going to see, you know, a situation where you see a lot of teams just turn things around. Um, you're probably going to continue to see the same thing, especially with how many teams that are struggling. A lot of teams are going to attack the rim, try to get the free throw line, because otherwise – as we're seeing thus far, it's just not a not a high percentage shot for a lot of teams. Last thing for you, Blake. Who are we not talking about enough here? I feel like I feel like one of two teams could surprise in SEC play either Georgia with with the guy that's probably the best player in the league in Anthony Edwards, or maybe Tennessee when Rick Barnes gets things kind of figured out with Lamonte Turner on the shelf. But uh, who would you say if I said who are we not talking about enough that we will be in a couple months? You know, I'd probably – I think Georgia's a good one. I really – you know, Alabama, I don't know if they have enough saving as well as they've been playing. I'm worried about their sort of defense and rebounding uh, as well. But, you know, guys, I'm going to go back to defending champs here because LSU, if you look at the way they play, they've lost 
they've lost three or four games by two points, and and they've all been to, to pretty decent teams. Um, you know, they had that home loss to East Tennessee State, but they bounced back, got the win against Liberty, who Liberty is just a, a very good team. Her talent, I think LSU is as talented as anybody in the SEC, because we're seeing these teams come along, uh, but it's hard to match LSU's talent. The one thing I worry about with LSU, as talented as they are, is they don't have Tremont Waters, and they just don't have that one guy. We've seen that in some of these post games that can either put the ball where it needs to go or make that one play that they need. He was so good at doing that. And if they're able to overcome that with guys like Skyler Mays, Devontae Smart, uh, Emmett Williams has played a lot better, I still think LSU is going to be right there in that mix just because they're so good on offense. Uh, they're another team that's struggling from the perimeter, but with the way they play, with uh, the athleticism they have, they're not as big as they were. Uh, but I would not count out LSU just yet because they do have the talent, I think, from top to bottom. All right, well, we've, we've taken a ton of your time. Appreciate it. Conference play gets going on on Saturday, and we'll probably catch up with you down the road, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, have a good one. Blake Lavelle, uh, Lovell, I knew I'd mess it up eventually. I did. Blake Lovell uh, covers SEC basketball probably as, as thoroughly as anybody does in a, a league that everybody's still kind of talking about football. But, I mean, just to wrap this up, like, I don't know if I realized I looked at the league standings while we're talking to Blake and 10 of the 14 teams are somewhere between eight and five and nine and three in the mm-hmm. non-conference. I mean, it's, it's going to be a mess. Right. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of teams that are flawed, but you know, decent and good enough to at least be on the bubble. And you're going to have, you know, maybe eight or nine teams that are, that are between like 35 and, and 70 and, you know, the various metrics and, and uh, you know, those teams that win those games or, or are able to steal a road game against one of those games, one of those teams are, are going to put themselves in good, in a good position to make the tournament. And the teams that go, you know, three and five or two and six in those games are not. And I'd feel a little bit more optimistic about Missouri had either if they go to West Virginia and win, that changes the picture. Had they held off Xavier, had they even won one in Kansas City, I think that changes a lot of things. Right now I look and – I think they've got to be eleven and seven to really think about the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think I think between you know their eighteen conference games and the West Virginia game, you want to try to win eleven. Um, I think that that West Virginia game's looking a little tougher. They just beat Ohio State. They're I think number nineteen now in the rankings, and it's at Morgantown, which is always a tough place to play. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know if you lose that game, you you want to try to probably be about eleven and seven. I, I really think I just think that the twenty win mark is going to be big uh, because, like we were saying, the SEC it just doesn't have a lot of depth, especially with Mizzou only playing you know Kentucky and Auburn each once. You might not be getting more than about five or six games against tournament teams. We are now going to turn elsewhere in SEC basketball, a name and a voice that will probably be relatively familiar to you guys. The Tennessee Volunteers is going to come to Mizzou Arena on Tuesday night. That is going to mean the return of Kim English, who is in his first year as an assistant with Rick Barnes in Knoxville. And Kim, before we talk about coming back to your old stomping grounds, uh, how's Tennessee? How's working with Rick this year? It's great. It's great. It's been uh, it's, it's 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 been a lot of fun getting to uh, learn from a new new coach and get to work with some 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 different players. Um, something I was kind of looking forward to getting into to, to coaching is um, obviously as a player you have your experiences and and the things you learn from coaches in different places and um, now it's the same thing on the the coaching side. You know, as I'm developing. Um, things that I like and, and, and don't like, it's always good to uh, to kind of learn from a new uh, perspective. 
Kim, I believe you, you know Tennessee has another game before uh, actually coming to Missouri. So I don't know how much you've thought about this, but but is there a, you know a, a thought about the just kind of the emotions of, of returning to Mizzou Arena for the first time since since you were playing there, and uh, and if you might uh, take a moment before the game to to kind of reflect on that at all? Yeah, no, I mean I thought about it some when I took the job here. I, I knew it was in the same league as Missouri, and um, I've never I've said this before. I've never rooted for Missouri to lose basketball game ever um so it, it, it's it's going to be different um being in there on the opposing side but um you know once it all settles in and um and my prep has already started um for the tigers it, it, it's going to just be a basketball game we're trying to win um gave my all as a, a tiger as a player and now i'm just trying to do the same on the, the coaching side here at uh, ut you're going to go at least uh, say hi to an antler or two, though, right? I think the antlers might have been in <laughs> elementary school when I played. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say hi to Pat Beckman, and I'm sure some of the guys at the scores table and the arena ops people will, will still will still be there. And obviously, some some fans that I've gotten close with over the years, I'll see before the game, but. Um, once the game starts, man, it's all business. Um, but um, my fam, my wife and kids will be there. Um, my wife's family will be there. It's been a topic of discussion of who you're going to be cheering for, and um, <laughs> so I know to get tickets from the either Ashley Moore for from Jessica's family that's going to uh, stay true to their Tiger loyalty, or I'll get tickets from our people for our family members that have kind of um, sticking with me. It, it, hey, they need to cheer for the paycheck, Kim. That's how it works, man. <laughs> but, well, uh, well I, I, I know at least my wife and daughters will be cheering for me. Everyone else, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> so, SEC play starts for everybody on Saturday, and you guys had, had obviously a tough break a couple weeks ago. Lamonte Turner, season-ending uh, shoulder surgery. I mean, you guys are 8-4, and four, but – they're good losses. You guys, you guys don't have a bad loss. Uh, it, where is Tennessee kind of entering a league where we all we were just looking at it? And I mean, I, any team in this league on any given day might be the the second best team or the thirteenth best team in the league. Yeah, and I think that's pretty consistent with the rest of college basketball. I don't think there's one just great team in college basketball, um, and that's that's awfully optimistic for every team. But yeah, that's right. I mean. The SEC, um, it's up for grabs. Anyone can win on any given night. And, no, we don't have any bad losses when you look at the opponents. But we know, you know we had 21 turnovers against Florida State. We lose by three in Florida. Um, we, we had a, an, a, a really poor offensive performance against Memphis. We have a, a rebound in our hands with the lead, and it just gets, gets taken away from us. Um, Cincinnati, another game we had in our control, um, some some disappointing things down the stretch. And um, Wisconsin just played really well and beat us. And that was our first game without Lamonte. Um, so, so we've been soul-searching, and we've had some great practices and film session. Uh, we have some young guys that are going to continue to work and work and get better and just it, it, it's time to learn from our missteps and um, take the next step and finishing some of these games. 
Uh, Kim, you, you mentioned the Lamonte Turner injury. Um, you know, just how, how difficult is it to re- to replace a guy like that, especially at point guard? Obviously, a position that that you know has a huge impact on, on the team. Well, just when you look at the the, the numbers um, statistically, it's a big impact. I mean, he was averaging eleven or twelve points a game, seven assists per game, uh, a lot of minutes per game. Um, he has a lot of experience being his his fifth year um, with the program uh but again you know in our practices i mean we 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 had games where he was in foul trouble we did great um we it's a next man up mentality i've always had that as a player and now as a coach you know i don't feel any different about the outcome of our season without lamonte than i did with him um i feel sorry for him i feel feel sorry for his his teammates that they don't get to um, continue to go into to battle with their brother. Um, I hate to see anyone's season end before it was intended to, but, um, you know, we don't have time to kind of sulk and think about the what ifs. You know, it's, 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 it's time to win games. I want to transition back to, to kind of some of your memories and, and coming back here in a minute. But before that, I mean, I, I think everybody who knew you, even when you were a player here, thought, hey, eventually this guy is, is going to be in coaching, probably a head coach. So, uh, you know, you've moved now three times since uh, since college just in, in your coaching career. Do you have, like, a, a goal or a roadmap for, hey, I'd love to be a head coach in X amount of time, or is that just something that kind of develops as you go along? You know, I'm preparing. I'm, 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 oh, since I was a player, I've been preparing um, what my program is going to look like if I ever get the opportunity to – become a head coach. Um, I do not have a timetable. I do not have a time frame. Um, you know, I have my program principles and, and mission and core values and, and, and all those things ready. Um, I think I've been fortunate uh, to move in this business uh, because quite the opposite, actually. Every place that I've been, Tulsa, Colorado, and now here at UT, my focus has been solely on those players, on that head coach, on that place, and thinking that it was the best program in the the country. Um, That's not too dissimilar to what it was like as a player at Missouri. Um, I thought Missouri was the best spot in America. Um, I thought the same at Tulsa, Colorado, now here at UT. Um, I try to plant my roots everywhere I am, and if opportunities ever present themselves and I'll kind of think about it um then Tim you know as you mentioned you're you're on your third different spot as a as an assistant coach uh, worked for for Frank Haith who coached you at the end of your Missouri career uh at Tulsa worked for for Tad Boyle at Colorado now Rick Barnes who obviously has been doing this for a really long time and and just won I think a couple national coach of the year awards uh for his job last year what what have you learned so far from uh, from coach Barnes and and you know is there anything about him that's been kind of different or, or eye-opening uh you know in your short time working with him so far um Respect, uh, humility, and responsibility are our three core values. Um, And we do everything to make our guys understand those three things. Um, Respecting the game, respecting the opportunity, uh, the humility of our guys to continually want to improve, um, and our staff backing that up with a big-time commitment to player development. 
and the responsibility of um, what is in front of those guys, the responsibility of what we have as coaches, our entire staff, um, the everyday approach um, he watches and insurmountable amount of film on our guys and, and our toughest moments. I'm sitting with him watching video and he's like, we're going to be all right. You know, he, he can, he can take things back from teams from Clemson or Providence or, or Texas, or even here at UT in our struggles and kind of see two, three years down the road. And that, that's kind of where we are now. I mean, we're, we're, we're playing a lot of young guys, a lot of minutes and, um, you know, it's just not about sulking in the losses. It's just about really um, strapping up your your boots and helping guys get better because brighter days are always ahead if you have that approach. All right, so uh, we talked about a little bit coming back Tuesday night. We always like to ask the former players, I mean, what's what one thing stands out to you about your time at Mizzou, whether it's a game, whether it's, you know, relationships all off the floor with some of the guys that I know you still keep in touch with. But when you think about your career at Missouri, what sticks out? Um, you know, just the winning and the, uh, and, and sadly some of the missed opportunities. Um, the only thing I've ever cared about was winning. And um, the fact that the, the guys that I played with won the most games of any group of Tigers ever, that's the thing I hold the most pride about. Um, and, and it's just what I think about mostly now is that it, it, the, the chances, the opportunities where it could have been more. Um, the people I met in, in Columbia, uh, my wife, some of my best friends, groomsmen in my wedding, all my teammates, um, those are the thing, things that I'll cherish forever. Um, I think it's a, a great and hungry fan base that deserves the world. Um, and I just, uh, just had a lot of great memories, man. You know, just only losing four times in that arena in four years. Um, not having those fans go home sad m- most nights. Those are the, the things that I remember the most. You just mentioned the missed opportunities. We just did a lot of stuff like the the – most memorable things of the decade. It's been long enough now. You can tell us Thomas Robinson fouled Phil Pressy, right? Yeah, he did. And, and, <laughs> and the official that didn't call that foul has not officiated a Big 12 game since. Really? So, yeah. Kim, last thing for me, uh, you, you mentioned obviously the success you had in your college career and uh, your senior class had, especially, uh, you know, that, that 2012 season uh, when you all won 30 games. Uh, you, you know, is there anything you ever, I guess, you took from that season in particular or things you, you find yourself uh, reflecting on and using and coaching now just from that experience? Yeah, you know, I think about that that game every single day. I think about that game every single day. Um, where I had a chance to play Norfolk State in the second round of the NIT last season at Colorado, and we won. Um, but it, it, it was – that's a great question. So many things. Um, before we took the court against Baylor in the Big 12 semifinals, Kansas had just lost – no, no, sorry. Before we took the court against Texas in the Big 12 semifinals, Kansas had just lost to Baylor. And I remember wanting to win that Big 12 championship so bad I just knew Kansas would be crushed 
and they walked off the court. I mean, not one player had their head down, not one coach. They were kind of almost clapping, jogging off. Their minds were so focused on what was next. Um, they went on to go to the national championship game and lose to Kentucky. So I, I absolutely remember that feeling of, um, you know, not being so blinded by a conference championship when you have more to play for. Um, I remember thinking we deserved a one seed and knowing the history of ones never losing to 16s and the implications there. And I remember being disappointed with the two seed. Um, I'll never let a team ever be disappointed going into the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's an unbelievable opportunity. I think it's a great blessing and we should have been, you know, fired up and excited uh, to be playing instead of having any um, a disappointment. And that was all us. That's nothing coaching related. We, ourselves were were disappointed in a two um um yeah man uh no there, there, there's a lot of thoughts a lot of memories a lot of things that i i absolutely uh still use uh today that i learned throughout my time playing at mizzou well kim really appreciate it man it's gonna be fun to catch up on tuesday night i always uh i always like doing these with former players and at the same time kind of hate it because Man, I, I'm old. I've been covering you since you were like a 17-year-old kid, and now you've been an assistant coach for six years. Yeah, man, it's, it's time, time flies, man. Time flies. All right, bud. We'll, we'll catch up on uh, Tuesday night and uh, look forward to seeing you. Good luck this year. Thanks, Kim. All right, thank you. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. All right, you too. Kim English, former Tiger, coaching at uh, Tennessee now for Rick Barnes. I've said this a lot. I uh, may or may not have told people – the night Rick Barnes got fired from Texas, that Missouri should immediately fire the head basketball coach at the time and hire Rick Barnes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, would've, that, would've that been was a good idea. made easier by the fact of who the basketball coach at the time was. But yeah, everyone knew Rick Barnes was going to land on his feet. Uh, and like I said, he won at least one National Coach of the Year award last year, I'm pretty sure. So he's uh, he's he's been in the industry a long time, and he's done a very good job. Yeah, and, uh, and look, Kim's coming back here, and I, I think – Without question, and it's been kind of exacerbated by what the last few years have been, but that 11-12 team was really for anybody that doesn't remember Missouri basketball before 1995, that was probably the most fun season anybody of that age has ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I showed up to Missouri not long thereafter, but was monitoring them somewhat from afar, and they were certainly fun to watch until the tournament slip up. But, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, I think just more so based off of what's happened since and uh, obviously the, the, the Kim Anderson years, and they've they've been to the tournament a couple times since, but uh, never never had an ex- a season with the excitement level, never had the, the consistent crowds and, and atmospheres of, of that season for it, sure. It was striking when I did the top 10 basketball players of the decade that one played a game after 2004 <laughs> yeah and only played one season yeah you know so uh eventually maybe that comes back um uh, and, and look i think you heard it there nobody would be happier to see it come back than kim english although i think he probably would prefer missouri loses on tuesday yeah i mean like you said always root for the paycheck that's that's key so we are fully into uh sec basketball now um hoping maybe to to get a little bit more talk to to maybe one of the the football assistant coaches next week on the podcast. Obviously, a lot happening there with Eli Drinkwitz, filling out his staff, trying to get a recruiting class here in the next month. But it is basketball season. The podcast is back in 2020. Uh, 
I don't know. Happy New Year, I guess. Yeah, I'll be in Lexington Saturday, so read read stuff from that. I'll be at Billiard Saturday. Come <laughs> meet me for a beer. So we'll talk to you next week.